You're listening to the Live Well Radio Podcast Show. A wealth of information for a life of inspiration. And here's your host, Brett Coleman. Hello, everyone. Today is Ask the Therapist Thursday. And I really hope you're ready to get down to brass tacks today because we have an awesome show lined up for you that's going to help you elevate your mindset to that of a level of infinite possibilities. We're talking about trust today and the huge impact it has on relationships with our guest, licensed professional counselor, Heather Carlisle. Heather's been featured on NBC's Today Show, Fox News Radio, Dallas Morning News, the Oxygen Channel, and many other media outlets. Heather Carlisle, welcome to the show. Brett, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. How are you? I'm, I'm better than ever, as usual. And um, I've, I'm always brimming over with information, and I'm so happy to share. Today, I wanted to talk about the thing that people ask me about most, which is rebuilding trust. Let's define this first because you have the answers. Webster Dictionary defines trust as belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, and effective. That's Webster. Now, Collins' English Dictionary says, your trust in someone is your belief that they're honest and sincere and will not deliberately do anything to harm you. So that's why I have you here to find out what's going on in relationships And why do people so often fall short of the mark in the area of trust? Well, what you just put on the tables is extremely complex. You're saying, why do people break trust? And yes, if we get into an intimate relationship, we assume that the other person loves us and isn't going to do anything to harm us. And in a lot of cases, that's true. But a lot of my work is helping people who have betrayed a trust or hurt someone or there's been infidelity. And the most difficult job I have is helping people to understand why it happened. Now, that is five programs right there. Um, there are so many different reasons. <laughs> there are so many different reasons Yeah, why people um, hurt someone or are dishonest or secretive or um, have an affair, or uh, lie, in, or whatever it is behind somebody's back. There are many, many reasons. And that's one of the things that I'm always relentless about. I'm like a detective in the beginning. I want to get all the clues together so that I can make sense of it. Because most people are not mean. Most people don't mean to hurt a relationship or someone that's close to them. And so there's always a reason and we're not going to make somebody bad or wrong or punish them or get revenge. We're going to figure it out because if we can figure it out, then we know how to prevent it happening in the future. And that means we can start rebuilding trust. But when trust has been broken, the person who has been betrayed says, well, I can work towards forgiveness, but I can't forget. And that's the truth. And personality styles affect that, how, how old you are, when you got 
when you started your relationship, your in-laws, your kids, money, uh, coping mechanisms, friends, it's um, many, many things that can be active there. But I'm always looking for understanding why. And given enough time and information, I can figure it out. And then help the couple see where it came from, that it wasn't meant to be mean or hurtful. It's just a sign that something was missing in the marriage or something in the person's childhood may have been um, in the way where they were injured or they have a coping mechanism that they started to use a long time ago and it ends up disrupting the marriage. There are many, many things. And so I'm always interested in people's questions because as you can tell, it's quite complex. And when I have questions, then I can speak directly to that. But one of the things that's most important in rebuilding trust is handling anger. Because of course, if you've been betrayed, part of your adjustment to finding out how you've been betrayed is you're going to be very hurt and very angry. People who are blindsided and betrayed, especially in places where they're very vulnerable and very sensitive, they immediately want to protect themselves. And so then the beloved becomes the enemy. And so that's um, very sensitive and very complex to help people deal with that. What we want to do is deal with the anger in a healthy way rather than in a coping way where it's being acted out. Is forgiveness the essential component to putting things back together? Yes. Okay. And forgiveness is not just a black and white thing. It's not an off-on switch. Forgiveness can be at many layers. It can be uh, a soft thing. It can be very complex. It can be just a completely blanket. Okay, I'm starting over. I'm letting go of the past. It depends on the person and the kind of injury that they've received. So forgiveness usually is necessary in order for us to let go of the hurt and therefore to heal it. And of course, in order to forgive, one of the things that we really need is an apology. And um, people have different preferences and sensitivities to how the apology is given. A lot of people, for example, if you tell them, well, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, they'll say, well, you know, that's just words. Um, I don't care about words. I want you to make a restitution. I need you to do something to prove to me that you feel guilty and you have empathy and you're apologizing to get my forgiveness. Okay, let let me ask you this then. Okay, this could go on and on for years. Now this person feels like a puppet on the string, maybe at a certain point. Look, I forget. I, I, I asked for forgiveness. You asked me to show, show you I was sorry, and now you're still going on and on and on two, three, four, five years later. At, that, at what point is it enough? Oh, no, it shouldn't go on that long. It, it can, and there are, are many reasons why that might happen, but that would not be anything that I would allow to continue. That's very destructive. And it's going to end up destroying the good and the love that you have. So, no, forgiveness is is an unfolding um, experience. 
And when people are sincere about it, then they earn the trust back by how they apologize and how they make up for whatever it was that was the injury. So, of course, then there's transparency. And what you want to do in the very first thing is rebuild your friendship so that you can be best friends again, which means there are no secrets. Now, if there continues to be unforgiveness and anger, there is a a serious problem. And we need to, again, go into finding the evidence and the information as to what's causing the inability to let it go and move on and find the peace of forgiveness. That's why my job is hard and why I love my job, because it's always interesting and always very complicated. How long have you been doing this? Oh, about somewhere between 25 and 30 years. And I didn't start as a therapist until I was 40. So I was a grown-up when I went into psychology. And I love it more than I thought I would because it's endlessly fascinating and meaningful to me. At the 30-year mark, have any of your clients ever come to you and said, listen, the reason I did this The reason I betrayed him or her was because I really didn't have respect for that person. And then now at this point, if I would have respected them in the first place, I probably wouldn't have have done that. But now that I did do it, even if they took me back, I still don't have respect for that person. So now what do I do? Well, we want to know why there's no respect or why there's conditional respect. Because if you don't respect someone, why would you be in a relationship with them? A relationship is to love and be loved. It's even beyond respect. Familiarity? Uh, Familiarity wouldn't, in essence, coincide with disrespect. Familiarity just means you haven't uh, worked on your marriage. And you know when they say, if you want a good marriage, you've got to work on it? Well, you know what that means? That means two things, novelty and arousal. And that means novelty means always something new, which means each person is growing and learning and sharing the new stuff with their partner and arousal. Now, yes, sexual arousal. We want to be um, happy together sexually, but also arousal is excitement. It's like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, let me tell you about this. Oh, this happened. Oh, yeah. So that kind of energy, that enthusiasm and always something new, if you don't do that in your life, with your spouse or with your partner, it's going to get too familiar and too dull and too boring. It's only natural, right? Sure. Oh, I agree. You, you offer counseling in many different areas, self-sabotage, uh, grief, anger, marriage, stress, trauma, PTSD, PTSS, and childhood, as well as uh, for college kids. There's a, I mean, you, you, you pretty much, uh, you, you run the gamut. So do you, are, you seeing a com- are you seeing a common thread uh, it, respect has to be in each of those for the for the person themselves. If we don't have respect for ourselves, we really can't respect anybody else, correct? Well, I don't know that that's true. Um, people, even people who hate themselves or have low self-esteem, they're going to have respect for the people whom they admire or the people who are kind to them. So, you know, my job is to know people. I know people well. I love them. And I put it on myself to be responsible not to have any blind spots so that if, if there's a problem or something missing, I can usually, if you give me enough information and time, I can usually figure it out. And if people are not 
really mean, and there are mean people who really aren't respectful and who really don't like people, but they're rare and I don't work with them because they don't want to do my work. But other people, if they've lost respect, that usually means that they've been insulted or they've been betrayed. And then we need to find out where, what was the cause of that. It doesn't come out of the blue. We're not born that way. So there was something that was a problem, something that was hurtful. And that's usually the source of disrespect. Because we naturally want to respect people. We want to care about people. We're here to love and be loved. Why is uh, the divorce rate as high as it is today? What's happening out there with marriages? Well, I've got lots of answers to that question. And I have a pretty good idea of why. Um, And there are about 20 different systems that work there. But if we're going back to the bare metal, it really is how you were raised in the first 10 years of your life. Because that's when our brain is developing and we're really listening in as much obedience as we can because we want to love our parents or the people who raise us. We're really listening and learning what they show us and tell us. And of course, you know, we're only human. Nobody's perfect. And so when we're little kids, people show us and tell us things that probably... Um, aren't all good, and then we end up having a blind spot or a misbehavior or a coping mechanism or an addiction or something where we can't get along with people. It usually goes way back there. I mean, you know that when somebody comes to talk to me, pretty much 90% of the time they, I'll have a couple and she'll say, well, my parents did it this way. And he'll say, yeah, but our family did it this way. We go back to our moms and dads. And so if we were to do one thing, it would be to be loving a husband and wife or couple and creating a fun and nourishing environment for your children. They would grow up to want to be married and to have a good family. You know, a lot of the younger generation right now doesn't want to get married because so many of them are still stinging from the harm, the hurt, the loss, the broken dreams, from their parents getting a divorce. Are there people who honestly should just not be married and it's okay and not have the attachment of guilt saying, well, gosh, I really really should be married. Can there be a a sense of freedom in knowing, look, I just, I'm not the marriage type and I'm okay with that? Well, I don't know about that question because that's a... there, there, there are many elements that you put on the table right there. And there are some people who don't want to be married. And frankly, usually that's because something bad happened to them when they were younger. Because healthy, happy people, they want to love a beloved. They feel complete and happy, best friends. And they create a home and a good life together. And if someone doesn't want to be married, usually they were hurt. Usually something happened to them. But then, you know, sometimes people are just special that way where um, they're happy without a relationship or they're happy in a relationship that isn't married. But I seldom recommend that for people who want to have children. Because children need a mom and a dad or a couple who are faithful and together. Here's what I can say to that. And I'm sure the audience will be divided on this. I think first and foremost... The children need love 
guidance, direction to be valued. I think that's what's most important. I think you can have a split audience again. I, I understand that. I get that part of it. But first and foremost, on that list has to be love, validation, right? Well, um, uh, and when you say love, you know, human beings experience and express love in thousands of ways. And so we do know, um, and if we go to the Search Institute and the Gurian Institute and other pla- and the uh, Newfeld Institute, there are places that have spent everything they have in studying children and what children need. So we know that children need 20 internal assets and 20 external assets. They need those things to be developed and then at age-appropriate levels as they grow up. And so we can love them, but they also need all of that mentoring, guidance, and nourishment externally and internally. So becoming a parent who really knows what they're doing from how we understand it today, that's an education in itself. And it's, it's all out there. It's available. It's understandable. It's kind of thrilling that we really do know what to do. But love isn't enough. You know, people do get by. But if we want to help um, develop all the, the basic seven systems that are naturally internal to a human being, um, it's good to know how, how to teach a child, how to treat a child, how to give a child experiences to make sure all of those things are nourished. Perfect world. That sounds great. Now you're talking about a, a, fam, a, a family, a family, a family unit that one of the parents is not willing. Just says, you know what? I'm not into this. I, I don't really want to be here. We've all heard the stories. So that was my take on that. Saying, look, if if that's that person's uh, feelings, then it's probably doing more harm than good to have them stay in that relationship uh, and having a, more of a negative impact and a positive on that child or children. Very likely. Um, it just depends. You know, a couple comes to see me, and if one of them is has that opinion, and then my job is to provide the proof, to provide the data, to show them, if they care at all about their children, to show them really what kids need, and that you don't have to go and become a professional parent and do nothing but that, but if you care about your children, even if you don't have much time or interest, the time that you do have can be spent um, in a meaningful way. Why do people spend more time planning the wedding than working on the marriage? You know, um, there are lots and lots of um, elements there. And you know, my husband will tell you, Heather's answer is usually, well, it's a lot more complicated than that. Put but, him on the phone. Um, <laughs> I, I, th- I, <laughs> I think that the, the real answer to that question is we spend a lot of time thinking about the wonder of our marriage, starting out and having our wedding and the celebration. And it's just wonderful. It's a fantasy, right? It's a great, great ideal. It's a fantasy. The idea of it is great. But when it comes down to it, it's going to take some effort and some work. Yes. The wedding itself is a celebration. So that's a ritual and a rite of passage. Yeah, it's wonderful. However, having children and being a parent is probably the most difficult, demanding um, endeavor in all of life. 
And oftentimes people will just um, gravitate to doing what happened in their home, which is not probably even a fraction of what we know that we can do today. So if a parent doesn't have a recipe book, and there are some wonderful ones out there, incidentally, then probably it's not going to be as much fun as having a wedding, right? It can be, but it takes knowledge. It takes recipes. It takes preparation, which is why I really don't ever recommend people having children, and you won't like this, (laughs) under the age of 30. Because 30 is when the brain finishes developing. That's the beginning of the first adulthood. And we're really ready now. We know who we are. We've probably got our life pretty well established. And we've got the bandwidth and the energy and the excitement to be a parent and to be co-parents, you know? How long have you been married? Jack and I have been married for 17 years. I didn't get to get married to my the love of my life until I was 51. Okay, so this is your second marriage to Jack? Yes, he's he's my second husband. And uh, the other ones all the other other marriages count. They teach us and then, you know, you can't predict, you can't control when the love of your life is going to show up. And by golly, mine did. And then do you think that because of your first one that your second one is actually better. Goodness, yes. Okay, there you go. So what are with, I need to, I need to have a top three things that you've learned that you did not want, that you did want in the second marriage. So what did you get in the second marriage that you didn't have in the first marriage? Well, that's a good question. Um, I wanted somebody who was willing to be my, to be my best friend. And so you, you got to find somebody who is equally smart, who likes the same things you do and gets you and just treasures you because they get you. And um, Jack gets me. Uh, Jack gets me more than anybody I've ever met. And so that brings peace. It makes you feel like you're at home. And he's positive. He has a positive attitude. He is always kind and loving. Um, We never argue. We never raise our voice. We just are so respectful and thankful for each other. So we do have disagreements, but we're never mean. And that's one of the biggest parts is someone who can disagree with you and listen to you and understand you, but not ever be mean. Always respect, if not kindness. Has Jack been previously married? Yes. Because you both learned something. So that's number number one is, he, okay, best friend. What's number two on that list? The number two is, uh, never be mean, always be respectful, and always communicate well. And what's number three? Liking to do the same things. Because the novelty and arousal comes if you're doing new stuff. And if you're doing new stuff together, that makes it very easy. Okay, so here's the question I need to ask you about this now. So you, you've you been practicing. You have clients come to you on a regular basis. They don't have those top three things you just gave me. You just gave me the top three list. Are they doomed? No. Um, Every couple is different. And if you try and if I look at a couple in front of me in my office, side by side on my sofa, and I try to make them a statistic or compare them with all the research, that's a waste of my time and their time. There are couples who are so different, whose lives are in two different worlds, sometimes literally two different states or cities. 
But if they, that person and that person, if they really like each other and love each other and they want to be married, then whatever else is in the way, I say no sweat. Okay, so what I'm hearing, though, is it may sound funny, but they have that same similarity, is that they don't have to be uh, a best of friends. They don't have to have common interests, but that's similar to both of them. Does that make sense? That's still a similarity to them. Yes. Yeah, well, you asked me about my relationship, and I told you about that. But other people have relationships that may not look anything like that, and I want to be very careful not to judge very careful not to tell somebody what to do. I want to listen to them and know them and know what they like and what they want. And so, you know, there are general things that are true for most people, but I'll always find somebody or some relationship that's not any way I've ever seen before. And it works. It works for them. And that, you know, that's a thrill. Watching people find their way when they genuinely love each other, even though they're dissimilar. So, you know, we can do cookie cutter. We can do research. But bottom line, it comes down to this man and this woman or this couple, you know? Yeah, they have to have, they both have to want it. The institution of marriage, they have to have to want, they have to want that relationship to work in their own way. Yeah. And what I usually ask them when it looks really bad I will ask them, I'll look at her and I'll say, if we can remove the difficulty, do you want to be married to this guy? And she'll say, yes. Then I'll look at him and I'll say, if we can remove the difficulty, do you want to be married to this woman? Yes. You know, even though they're screaming at each other underneath, they still say they want to be married. And so then I say, no sweat. Because that's what—that's the foundation. All the stuff on top of that, if they're in my office, they're willing, and we can do that. And trust, has, and look, the whole topic of this conversation started off is trust, and that has to be the foundation. Both people really need to trust each other and respect each other and want the same things to make that relationship work. You have to be on a, have to have a commonality. Well, uh... And the commonality may be all over the map, you know? Sure. Um, the commonality really is that they want to be married to that person. Some people don't want uh, a lot of tight intimacy. They they want comfort and uh, they want predictability, which not may, may not be something an, another marriage wants to preserve. And so that's one of the reasons I love my job. It's always interesting and new. Because each relationship um, is created by that couple. And that's why my book is called Designer Marriage, because each couple, especially, you know, when we get to be adults, I think we need to design our own marriage to suit who we are and what we want in our home. Where can they find that book? Where can people find us on Amazon? Designer Marriage? No, it's on my website, which is my name, heathercarlisle.com. We're gonna have you back because this this is this thirty thirty minutes is for you is not enough. We need like like Jack says we need <laughs> we need thirty minutes a day for you. <laughs> well, you know where to find me, and I really appreciate your trust in me. We love we love having. Let me ask you this before I let you go: I, What if your life was a book, Heather Carlisle? What would the title of that book be? 
Ooh, that's a great question. I love that. Um, the woman who is passionate about teaching, that would be me. Passion. I love it. Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. People are going to enjoy this. I know they are. And they can always press play, rewind it. The, the nice part is they can listen to it over and over again and get it. And they have to see your website. Your website's beautiful. Great information. Thank you. Thanks to my husband. Yes, yes. see? I'm the writer and he's the builder. That's a team and, right there. Um, you know, also, you know, if people have any questions themselves, um, I would recommend please uh, let Brett know. Let Brett hit, let Brett know your questions, and then we'll see what we can do to help you. Awesome! What a big heart. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> so do you. We love you're you. You're so welcome. Take care. Appreciate Brett. you. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye now. 